Welcome to season eight of the Life Giver Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Weathers. I'm a military spouse, clinician, and leadership coach. And Life Giver is where I get to spark honest conversations, interview experts, and encourage you with topics on military culture, marriage, and leadership. So give yourself permission to pause and lean in. There's something for everyone here. Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey. Thanks for joining me for another episode of season eight. We've been talking a lot about leadership and marriage and intimacy, and I thought today's episode would be a great opportunity for us to dive a little bit deeper into the strengths-based approach to both marriage and leadership. Now, if you've been following me and listening for some time, you've probably heard me talk about the Strength Finder with Gallup. And um, I've been kind of like dropping in my language a lot um, some of the themes that come from the Gallup Strength Finder. And it occurred to me that I've never really explained it um, on the podcast or kind of given you some insight. And so I thought that I would talk a little bit about the strengths-based approach. Yes, kind of using some language from the Gallup Strength Finder, but really kind of help you more than anything. It's not about you choosing that assessment, but instead more thinking about how do you approach your marriage and your relationships and your leadership from a strengths perspective, whether you use an assessment or not. And um, so I thought I'd share a little bit about the impact that I've seen a strengths-based approach having on my relationships and um, in my work environments and work relationships and maybe share a few stories of what I've seen with other people and um, and more so just kind of paint a picture for you of how your perspective of your work and your day-to-day existence and also your relationships can shift simply by thinking it, about it from a strengths-based approach. So before I get into that, um, I thought I would just take a couple minutes to give you an update on the book as well. I get a lot of questions about either what is it like to write a book or some people will ask me, you know, would I recommend writing a book to someone else? And honestly, it's a personal preference. I mean, this actually applies to the strengths-based approach because um, communication, which is really a great talent for um, obviously communicating, but not just through words like verbally spoken words. A lot of people with the talent of communication with that theme communicate through dance or art or motivational speaking or writing. And so there's a lot of different ways that we communicate and inspire other people into action. And um, those that love writing and are exceptionally talented at writing usually have communication maybe in their top 10. And it is number 22 for me. So when someone asks me, would would you recommend writing a book or did you enjoy the process? I do feel or at least both times that I've written a book, both with Sacred Spaces and now with the current book, Military Culture Shift, both times I felt like a compulsion, like I had to write about this thing that was on my mind and in my heart. And um, I just needed to get it out of my head. And so both times that feeling um, really motivated me, but also sustained me while I was writing. But both times the process was really hard. Like it takes me a while to concentrate and not be distracted and um, to really figure out how to put my thoughts into words. And so even though I'm a public speaker and I do this podcast and I've written books, communication um, is a learned skill that I have developed, but that doesn't mean that writing a book has necessarily been easy for me. So the process of writing a book, I mean, it's one thing to get it out all out on a piece of paper or in this case on, on your computer. Um, but when you work with a publisher, which I've, I'm working with Karen at Elvarisa Publishing again the second time, they also have put out Sacred Spaces in 2015. And I knew that was an easy um, yes to working with them again. Um, it was a great relationship and I wanted to continue that relationship. And I knew that there was a trust relationship between the publisher and myself. And so I knew it was the right fit, but um, it's all, it's 
there's lots of, you know, it's a whole other podcast episode on do you self-publish or do you work with a publisher? But I think what I wanted to just kind of share today is it is such a vulnerable process to put your baby, if you will, um, out there for the world to see, um, knowing that everybody's going to have opinions on it. And that kind of first stage starts with the publisher and editors and them taking a turn at something that you have worked really, um, really hard on for a very long time and put your, like, your blood, sweat, and tears into it. And then this just vulnerable, and it's important, right? Because that vulnerable process needs to happen before it goes out into the world where it's even more vulnerable. So that's the stage that we're in right now. It's set to come out November 14th. I will say like, I, um, I'll share a little bit more and kind of weave it into our discussion on a strengths-based approach, but it was definitely an interesting journey, and I definitely experienced the max of my mental ability and capacity, which is something that I've not experienced before. So it was quite um, quite an interesting journey over the last year. So um, I am excited about it. I feel good about it. Um, we will soon be putting out links for how you can join the launch team if you're interested in the book launch team. Um, I really have fun when I put together, like, what's the strategy of not only who do I ask to be on the book launch team, which usually means early access to the book and some discussion um, with me or within a group, um, but I also like to throw in some freebies and um, and gift the book launch team um, with something fun that kind of ties us all together that's physical, that comes in the mail, and so I'm super excited about some of that stuff that's kind of slowly coming together. So kind of make sure that you are following me on social media um, so that you hear about when um, we take those applications for a book launch team because the reason why you got to apply is because usually the publisher is only able to give a certain number of early copies um, to a book launch team. And so I'd have to cut off the limit um, or at least have a limit. So be on the lookout for that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, a strengths-based approach. Again, I've talked about this for years, um, but really haven't um, shared like what is a strengths-based approach. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, I've done so much work with couples dealing with post-affair recovery. And usually within the first few sessions, we kind of have this kind of educational moment where I kind of share, here's my philosophy and here is my strategy on helping you through post-affair recovery. And one day I realized, you know, I'm saying this over and over and over again, I probably should just record an episode. And then when couples come to me, um, I can direct them to that episode instead of repeating it, you know, a million times. And it's also great to have it out there for everybody listening to learn from and hopefully give them some direction. And so that's what I realized today. This is a topic that I talk about all the time in coaching sessions and at events. And I just wanted to share with you, the listener, just a little bit more about um, changing your perspective towards a strengths-based approach and the power that it has to shift so many things in your life. So really quick, let's talk about where it came from. I won't bore you with a ton of history, um, but I think it's out, it's kind of interesting and I try to make it pretty brief. But basically, um, positive psychology has been around for a really long time. I mean, the career and the theories and the concept of psychology is actually fairly new compared to the medical community. But within psychology, positive psychology has been around for a while. And it's exactly what you think of when you hear that phrase. It is a positive approach. Um, sometimes when we talk about post-traumatic stress, you probably have been hearing about post-traumatic growth. Positive psychology basically is taking a look at what you already have um, within you that is going really well or is really confident or really um, developed and how do you use that to not just kind of um, look at everything in a positive light and with a silver lining and pretend that the suffering and the difficulty doesn't exist. It's more so how do we address the difficulty and the suffering given the positive tools that you have already. Now, when I first heard about positive psychology, I will be honest with you, it was not something I wanted to be a part of. It was not my style because in my mind, it was the um, kind of stand in front of the mirror and um, say affirmations to yourself and just speak, speak the positive things about yourself 
and that that was somehow supposed to transform your cognitive thinking um, and your perspective on things. And while that is a tool um, to speak affirmations either out loud or in a mirror to yourself, and while that is a tool that can be helpful, um, I think all of us could stand to probably say more positive, true statements about ourselves. And I think that's the key for me is that they have to be true, not just kind of made up, not flippant, um, not um, disconnected from, from what you're going through, like something that's actually true and positive. I think we could all agree we need a whole lot more of that in our life. But I think that I originally heard it as as if that one tool was going to change everything for that person's mindset. And that's what I disagreed with. Positive psychology is a lot, um, of course, a lot deeper than that and a lot um, more research-backed than that. And so basically, when it comes to strengths, um, the Gallup Strength Finder was created, that assessment by Gallup was created because there was a clinician, his name is Donald Clifton, who was working with his clients and he found himself really frustrated with their growth and their ability to move forward on various topics that they brought into counseling. And his clients were frustrated too because they weren't growing as much as they wanted to. And so as you can imagine, people come to counseling and coaching when something is wrong, whether it's something is not going well in their relationship or something's not going on internally within them. They're frustrated. They're hitting obstacles or barriers or um, or they're struggling in communication with other people, things like that. So you, in, in other words, people come to counseling and coaching usually when something is wrong. Now, I will occasionally get someone that comes to me when things are going okay, they just want a good healthy checkup and they want to like stay on that course and get even better. However, most people, majority of people are showing up when something is wrong. And so as Donald Clifton was helping his clients with whatever they were bringing in to the counseling office, he realized talk therapy wasn't making things better. I use kind of the silly metaphor, or the, maybe it's not a metaphor for most of you listening, but kind of the analogy of, you know, if you're having a communication battle between you and your spouse and your spouse um, puts their dirty clothes on the floor instead of the hamper. Now I'm throwing myself under the bus because this is, you know, if this was an issue, it'd be an issue between Matt and I, and it would be me because some of you listening out there know there is dirty clothes and then there is clean clothes and then there's somewhere in the middle like I can wear those jeans again. And where do those go, right? If you guys have a solution, please reach out and let me know what your solution is. But um, let's just say this is the conflict for, um, for you and your spouse. And so you want your spouse to put those clothes in the hamper, not on the floor. And you have gone over this again and, and again and you've gotten into arguments about it and and now you've decided there is a major communication issue or there's just a major values difference here, like a values of cleanliness, a values of order, whatever, whatever that difference of values are. There's this disagreement and you go to counseling and um, Donald Clifton and a lot of clinicians work with that. And what he found was no matter how how much he invested in that person to help them change their behavior and, and put those clothes in the hamper consistently. Most of you guys probably can relate that after a couple weeks of trying something like changing a behavior or doing something that doesn't come natural to you, you, you we all do good for about two weeks and then we kind of fall naturally back into the old default and there our clothes are on the floor again. So maybe you're not the person that puts the clothes on the floor, but maybe there's something else that your spouse has asked you to change. And it's just really hard for you to not only um, see and identify within yourself what that person is asking you to change, but also changing it is like there's a hard wiring issue going on, right? And it's just really difficult for you to make that change. Those are the, the topics that we're talking about. And so um, Donald Clifton went to Gallup, and he and Gallup is a think tank, a research think tank, and they do not only great research, but they do great surveys and assessments, and they know how to write and um, create a thorough assessment. Um, and he went to the Gallup, and he basically said, I wonder what would happen if we focused on what's right with us instead of focusing only on what's wrong with us. How would we 
live differently? How would we resolve even some of these problems if we leveraged what we already do really well and apply that to our weaknesses? And that's what he wanted Gallup to take a look at. So the Gallup Strength Finder Assessment is measuring your talent. Now, not talent in the way that we commonly use that word talent. We often use that word to say, oh, that person is a talented guitar player, or Michael Phelps is a talented Olympic swimmer. Um, but that is not the same way that Gallup is choosing to use that word, because Gallup would say swimming is a skill. Playing the guitar is a skill. Anyone can take a class or take a lesson in guitar, and anyone can get a coach and learn how to swim. Those are skills. But what they're looking at is what are the natural talents, the natural drives, motivations, perspectives, the way that their mind thinks, um, that they apply to this skill of playing the guitar or apply to the skill of swimming. And that is the talent. Like what comes natural? So is Michael Phelps just a highly competitive person? Does he also um, get in the pool every day because he loves that order and that routine and the consistency of getting in the pool every day? Um, what is that drive and motivation that gets him to the pool and in the water? Same thing with the guitar. It is how do I motivate myself to show up to practice the guitar every day or to vision cast and see where I'm going to be someday when I can play the guitar well. That's what Gallup would say is a talent. So the Strength Finder assessment is not a personality assessment. I get asked that a lot. It's not a compatibility assessment either. So it's different from Myers-Briggs, although it, it, they inform each other. It's different from the Enneagram. Um, this is really measuring what comes quickly and naturally. And some of that is how you execute and get things done, how you perform tasks, and what's the motivation and drive and how you approach that task. It's also looking at um, what comes to your mind when you need to make a decision? You know, are you thinking about other people around you? Are you thinking about their emotions? Are you thinking about strategy? Are you thinking about all the details? Like when we approach a decision, maybe something like we're going to go on a family vacation to Disney World. Everybody approaches what they do next in planning that trip to Disney World in different ways. Some people are going to plan that Disney trip by first sitting down and thinking about all the family members and all the kids and what they want to do and what would be special to them and what would make an amazing vacation for them and, and start planning from there. Whereas someone else might look at first strategically when's the best time of year to go to Disney World or have we gone to Disney World before and what did we like about what we did last time? So everybody approaches that decision with a, like a, a different line of thinking and a different perspective. And that is what Gallup is calling a talent. Like what's the fastest, most natural way that you bring your motivation to the task, the relationship, or the decision, or whatever is in front of you, your perspective on how you see the world, those are all clues for talents. And so what Gallup wants you to do is to learn what those really strong talents are. Um, they can't measure all the talents in the world. It would be a gazillion talents. And so they, gr they group them into 34 themes. So the Gallup Strength Finder Assessment has 34 themes. And if it's a theme, then that means I gave the example of communication earlier. The communication theme um, might look different for one person than it does another. Remember when I said for, for one person, communication comes through dancing or art, right? And another person might be through uh, writing or speaking, right? So these are themes and everybody's kind of version of that theme might look a little bit different, not only based off of the other themes that surround it, but also like it does depend on their personality. Are they an introvert or an extrovert? Are they, um, you know, what are they using it for and how, what was their upbringing like, right? So we have these talents and they're grouped into themes and we share some commonalities in those themes, but how they kind of play out in our everyday life can look a little bit different from person to person. And so the point that Gallup wants us to do from going back to that positive psychology, going back to what Donald Clifton was saying about what would it look like if we focused on what's right with us instead of um, just trying to fix our weaknesses, um, Gallup basically ranks your talents, those themes from one to 34 
one being your strongest talent, your um, the fa- the one that comes fastest to you, the easiest one. It's almost like breathing. Um, all the way to 34, um, being your weakest talent. So what is most difficult for you? And so let me give you an example of what that looks like for me. I think my number 33 is adaptability. And I think number 34 is competition. And so I, you know, I ran cross country in, um, middle school, high school and college. Um, but I really was just racing against myself. I really didn't care to win. Um, I didn't have the drive to, um, be the first one to cross the finish line. In fact, I knew I wasn't the fastest. And so there was a part of me that was like, you know what? I am, I am where I'm at. <laughs> right? And so there was not a natural drive for me to figure out how to grow and get faster. Um, now if I would have had a coach next to me that had competition in their top five, then competition is not necessarily an executing strength that helps me, um, apply it to myself to run faster. Although a lot of people that have competition in their top five, a lot of our special ops, um, service members have competition in their top five. They want to win, right? They want to be part of the best of the best. Um, And so I see that a lot happening in the top five. So people with competition definitely use it in their own lives to motivate themselves. But the truest use of this talent, when we see it really bring joy into people's lives, when they're using their talent in really exciting ways, um, competition is actually an influencing strength. It is meant to inspire other people into action. So yes, you might use it in yourself because you want to win yourself. But when you get to that place where you are inspiring other people to win, or when we are winning together, that goes back to that special operations community of if I align myself with the best of the best, then we get to win, right? That is actually the best, uh, most amazing version of that theme. And so for me, that's at 34. So can I get a little competitive? Yes. But I actually pull from some of my other strengths that look a little bit different, but to someone else, I might come across as competitive. Um, For example, a lot of my advocacy work is not coming from a place of, I want to win. I am so relational and so many of my talents and themes are relational that I want other people to be treated well. I want people to experience healing, or I want to eliminate the frustration that is causing suffering in people's lives. And out of that, I want to resolve the issue that's going on. And that might come across as me wanting to win the fight, right? Um, But it's not. It's actually coming from a relational place. But 33 for me is adaptability. And adaptability, you can imagine, you need that. I need that. Being a military spouse and us moving um, with active duty, I need to be able to adapt. And for the longest time, Matt and I would really clash whenever he would get PCS orders, I would completely melt down. I would, because I could not um, see Um, I couldn't picture in my mind how things were going to get better and how it was going to be settled on the other side and how I was going to be able to transfer my license. And all I saw was I needed to do this massive adjustment and I don't know where to start. And that was a good example, a good showing of my adaptability being number 33. Can I adapt? Yes. But the bigger the change, the more it throws me and the longer it takes for me to adjust because adaptability does not come quickly. Those of you who might have adaptability in your top five, I call them, um, I say they're my whatever people. They're like, where do you want to go out to eat? Wherever you want to go. Um, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know, whatever you want to do. And really they are leveraging that adaptability as a gift to the relationship and saying, I want you to choose and I can go with a flow. So for that, for me to be at number 33, the bigger the change, the more time it takes for me to adjust. So I always tell people when I get PCS orders, it takes me about four days to turn what feels like a Navy ship in my mind to like start to settle in and go, okay, everything's going to be okay. Right. And I also see this in small ways. Like if I have in my mind planned, here's what is happening for lunch today. And I've planned my whole day around that lunch meeting and then something changes and I I need to adjust the whole day. Like it's going to take me a few minutes to adjust and reorder and get myself, you know, knowing what I'm doing next. Um, doesn't mean I'm freaking out. It just takes me a second. And that's an example of needing to adapt. Whereas someone else with adaptability in their top five 
could just respond really quickly and adapt and 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 probably enjoy the spontaneity of it. So um, when you get that report, it is ranked one to 34. And that's why it's good for us to understand these top strengths happen very fast, like without you even thinking about it. In fact, they're so strong. A lot of the coaching sessions that I do with people is actually more so helping them not only identify their strengths and see it in their day-to-day life, but also helping them develop self-control of those themes because those themes are running them instead of them running the themes. And that's how strong they are. They just had not been aware of it for most of their life. So yes, while most of us would want to look to the bottom strengths and look at our weaknesses and try to fix those, what Gallup has found in their research is no matter how much I try to be an adaptable person or learn how to adapt quickly, it's never going to come easy to me. That doesn't give me a pass and an excuse to not adapt to things happening in my life. But I can give myself the grace and I can also um, ask my husband and my family members and my work teammates for grace that I might need a little bit of extra time to adjust to that information um, while I also pick up tools and skills to help fill the gaps of those weaknesses. But I'm not trying to change that about myself because I'm probably not going to get very far. Similar to that hamper um, example, like after about two weeks, I'm going to really be exhausted from trying to do this thing that I'm not built to do really well. What it also does for me and what I love about this strengths approach, I get to release those weaknesses and take the pressure off and stop trying to be all things to all people and accept my limitations and really focus and hone in on what I'm already good at and enjoy it and lean into it and do those more. Over the last about, what, 12 years, maybe more, um, I've been working on my strengths and teaching on strengths. And the more I have learned to lean in and not only strengthen those top talents, um, that's where we develop them by getting to know them and then investing in them and then learning how to develop self-control around them and use them more intentionally, that we become the Olympic version of ourselves. We become the Michael Phelps version of ourselves. Right now, so many of you have these amazing talents, these things that you do really well. And people have probably told you you're a really good listener or you're really good at strategy or you are amazing at organization or whatever. And this gives you the, the words and the language to be able to say, oh, this is what I'm good at and why I'm good at that. And wouldn't it be amazing for you to not only do those things that bring you joy more often, but get better at it, right? And then do that more often. Then we manage the things that we're not good at release ourselves from feeling like we have to be perfect or be all things to everyone, um, communicate our limitations to other people where they can kind of release us a little bit too. And now we're in a different headspace, right? It gets really exciting, really exciting. And I love working with people when I see them, their shoulders drop, they take a deep breath. You know, they're like, oh, I, you mean I can relax a little bit and, oh, it's okay for me to enjoy this over here. And it's not prideful. No, it's not prideful. Prideful is thinking I'm the best one in the room. Um, nobody else has a better approach to this situation than me. Um, that's a little bit more towards prideful, but actually enjoying what you're good at, investing in that, telling other people what you're good at so that you can do it more often, that is just confidence, especially when you are able and willing to partner with other people that are also good at what they're good at, and you see and value that in other people too. Now we're getting into this amazing place of collaboration, of healthy um, self-esteem and confidence, and also the ability to see value in other people, which is why I love how the strengths-based approach heals marriages. I have seen this strengths-based, and if you don't want to do the Gallup Strength Finder assessment, you can you can do this. It's a little bit harder. Uh, Marcus Buckingham, actually, and I'll put it in the show notes, has a free assessment tool that is similar to the Gallup. He actually used to work for Gallup um, with the Strength Finder assessment. And like a lot of people who, um, similar to me, who have loved strengths, they kind of tend to start their own businesses and their own approaches. So Marcus Buckingham does have a free tool that you can use. It does give like a very general, um, a general description of what your talents might be. Um, but the Gallup Strength Finder is really going to nail it down into more specific um, language that's a little bit easier for you to use. 
And so um, you don't have to use an assessment, but that, you know, Marcus Buckingham has a free one. The Gallup Strength Finder, last time I checked, is about $20 to get your top five. Um, again, your report ranks them one to 34, but the whole approach here is they really want you to focus on your top five first and invest in those and kind of help them become the Olympic version of yourself so that you're not tempted to weakness fix and look at only the, the bottom strengths. Um, but you can also purchase your full 34. That's where Gallup, it's a, a little bit of a business for them. Not a little bit of a business. It is their business um, where you can get your full 34 and work from there. But I really do like the approach of looking at your top five first. And then once you get to know them, then you can, you know, it's good to know it's in your six through 10. Um, and it does inform a lot of things, your frustrations, um, things that are difficult for you. Um, and But a lot in a lot of ways, you can oftentimes get your top five, get to know what the full 34 are, just the descriptions of them. And a lot of people are able to guess at least three of their bottom strengths by looking through the definitions. So, but going back to marriage and how I see this impacting relationships, um, I have just seen this strengths-based approach heal marriages, everything from those who are dealing with post-affair recovery, um, where we look at strengths from the perspective of how um, have we always been approaching communication and shared responsibilities around the house through our strengths, but just didn't know that's what was happening. So when you, I mean, I'll just give kind of a, it's probably not silly to other people, but um, especially if you're living in it, but I'm going to use the adaptability again as an example, because one of the common frustrations is if, and we tend to marry our opposites, right? So if you, let's say, are married to an adaptability person, person with that in their top five, there can be a lot of conflict between those two people because let's say the one who does not have adaptability, if they have achiever or some strategic strengths, you know, and they really um, are maybe tired from being the one that's making all of the decisions and they're asking their spouse, like, what do you want to do? Like, where do you want to go? Like, can you make those decisions? But if that adaptability strength and theme is running that spouse instead of them running it, meaning they're using it only at the best times and at the right times. And adaptability is just kind of their answer for everything of like, whatever you want to do, that's going to create some conflict, right? And so I actually see couples that really build a lot of resentment towards each other. The person with adaptability is just trying to be nice, right? And they genuinely are okay with spontaneity and going with the flow and not realizing that they're frustrating their spouse, but they don't know what else to do, right? So we have to learn how to push that adaptability down and maybe leverage one of their other themes to help develop that self-control. And then on the other hand, I'm able to help the other spouse um, take a look at what their themes are. And if they have, um, let's say, activator. Um, activators, it's another influencing theme. It helps people. Um, it's built to inspire other people into action and get, and they tend to inspire people to get going quickly. So an activator is that one that's like ready to get things started. Um, my good friend, she'll know who I'm, <laughs> that I'm talking about her. My good friend has activator in her top five, and we were working on a project together, and I will never forget her using the phrase, and I'm sure you've heard this phrase before, but she used the phrase, we're just going to build the plane while it's going down the runway, which was her way of like, let's get started. We'll figure out what we need to do along the way. But I have responsibility in my top five. And that felt like the most irresponsible thing to do. And I had so much anxiety, not kind of thinking things a little bit better all the way through. And ultimately we learned how to work together. But that's a good example of like, if you have somebody with activator who is really kind of motivating other people to get going and get into action. And then you're they're married, let's say, to a, an adaptability who really doesn't have that same drive and motivation to be self-motivated to start anything, you know, then that's going to create conflict. So helping that person with activator recognize their activator and, and help them learn how to pause and ask themselves, is this actually the best time for me to leverage activator? Or is there something else that I can leverage instead? What is it that's important to me to value? And how do I communicate those values with the other person? And really a lot of conflict most of the time comes from a difference of values. And those values come from oftentimes a difference in those talents, a difference in those strengths. Empathy values the emotions and feelings of other people. 
Um, activator, like we said, is valuing getting started. Um, strategic is valuing routes and efficiency and how we get there. Um, restorative values solving the problem. Harmony values peace um, in the relationship. So you can hear all these different values. They're what drives people to react, respond, um, take their next step. And if we don't understand what those values are, and if we don't have the language to be able to communicate those values, of course, we're going to have conflict, right? So even this, the um, smallest communication in marriage, I see it helping tremendously. Parenting. Parenting is just as much of an executing task as it is an influencing opportunity. Like how many of you are trying to influence your kids to clean their room or influence your kids to want to brush their teeth or influence them to want to get good grades at school, right? And if you don't have influencing strengths, like I don't in my top 10, I don't think I have actually any influencing strengths in my top 10. Most of mine are relationship building, some executing, I think one or two strategic in my top 10. And so when it comes to motive, like I cannot sell people. You've heard me say like, I do not enjoy selling things. Like I'm going to talk about my book and I'm going to hope that you purchase it. And I'm going to build relationships out there because that's what my talents are. I love relationships. I love people. I love stories. And um, out of those relationships, I hope that they will purchase the book because me trying to sell something is not going to come across genuine because I'm just not good at it. So you can imagine trying to, or for me, trying to influence and sell my kids on the idea of them cleaning their room. It's just not going to come natural and I'm not good at it, right? So oftentimes without me even realizing it, I was approaching my parenting from a relationship building perspective, whereas this is how it makes me feel when I've asked you to do something and you're unwilling to do it, right? You can hear the relational side of things. So when you're parenting even, we often are using our talents and our themes to parent, whether it's executing or relationship building or whatever your talents are, and your spouse is using theirs. And what I often see in parenting conflict is we're approaching the same problem with, with different sets of talents to address the issue. And that's actually a really good thing. When we do a strengths-based approach to healing and, re and restoring communication and reducing conflict, the goal is actually to collaborate and use your, your talents together in a collaborative way to fill each other's weaknesses um, rather than fighting over who's doing it best because you're both bringing the best version of yourself to the table. The key here is learning, um, first of all, what, what are you bringing to the table and is it actually working and is it the best time and space to use it? Um, because sometimes I need to like I need to kind of tag team with Matt and let him use his influencing strengths to parent, you know, the boys. Um, and then sometimes it needs to lean towards me where I use the relationship building and maybe not both of us firing off at the same time. Right. And so it's how do we be more intentional with what we have been given to use in that situation. But Gallup would say we can all approach the task of parenting using our strengths and probably succeed. But when we're fighting with our teammate about which approach is best, um, there is a timing issue and is this the best you know, opportunity to use those? And we need to have that dialogue. But oftentimes, almost any approach could work. That's why during a deployment, right, spouses, like we figure out something that eventually works for us. And that's why we have that frustration when our spouse comes in and tries to interrupt what we've figured out works for us. And now we're being invited into a new style that we don't feel good at, right? So instead, we've got to learn how to talk through and figure out when do we collaborate versus when do we take turns? Um, so I've also seen strengths heal grief. I've noticed how people in grief um, grieve or mourn or have that season of mourning through their strengths. Um, in fact, several people who come to me for coaching um, specifically to deal with their grief, it's often because they have strategic strengths in their top five and they're strategically looking for how do I work through this season and be efficient with it and well um, on the other side. And so I also notice, I also notice people with strategic strengths 
tend to move a little faster in their grieving process because they are able to see the future. I will use my mom as an example. Um, when my stepfather passed away, goodness, I think it's been almost 10 years now, she has strategy in her top five. And I noticed that she was um, able to move a little faster than someone else might be able to move, where she was, she periodically kind of set these milestones for her to get to a place where she made that decision on what to do with his toothbrush or made that decision on what to do with his clothes. And there's been couples that I've worked with who were grieving together, who had conflict because one was moving faster than the other, and their strengths really informed it. You know, if somebody has empathy in their top five, five or uh, maybe adaptability in their top five, their grieving is going to be a little bit slower, a little bit more relational, a little bit more sitting in their feelings and having a hard time moving forward. Or maybe a better way to say it is if they don't have those strategic strengths or even some executing strengths that help them get things done, if they're not really strong with those in the top five, then they're going to struggle to make those next step decisions. So you can see how if you have these strengths to move forward quickly, you're probably going to move forward quickly on tough things. And we've got to learn how to slow that down, especially if we're working with other people who need us to go at a different pace. But if it's just up to us and we're going through a healing process on our own, it can be a fantastic set of talents to help you move forward and grow at your own pace. Um, but obviously if you're working with someone else, um, it's really helpful to know what their themes or their strengths are. So hopefully you're hearing how a strengths-based approach can apply to almost every area of your life, whether you're in school, taking care of kids at work, um, if you're, if you're in conflict with, uh, people around you, um, just doing tasks around the house, like it really, and I mean, even your healing, right? All of it is informed by your natural ability to um, think, reason, those natural motivations. But I thought I would share one other kind of tidbit on um, how exciting it can be to actually invest in your strengths, in your themes or your talents, however you want to say it. When you consider the fact that you're already really amazing at these things, I mean, this is a nature versus nurture debate, and it's one of the questions I get a lot is, you know, if I were to take this test um, 10 years from now, or what if I did take this test 10 years ago when I was in college, are my results going to be different then versus now? And the answer to the nature versus nurture debate is I would say both. When I look back on my childhood, um, I can, I can see how responsibility was a lens through which I saw the world, how I saw peers, how I saw myself. I can trace it back. And if you have kids, especially if you have more than one kid, you can probably see how they're very different and that they've always been that way. Um, my oldest son has always been organized. He's always loved details and order. And my second son is the disorganized type where he's all, had a different set of frustrations um, and different set of things that he's good at. And so we see these differences very early on. Um, but these talents and themes, they really do kind of move around depending on what you're doing. So that's why it really is helpful to know it's in your six or 10, because we can pull from our six or 10. Number six for me is learner. I leveraged that to write the book and I exhausted it. Like I said in the beginning, I hit a limit that I have never hit before on my learner. Like I experienced my capacity for how much information my brain could hold. It was quite an experience, but that learner for me is actually very strong at number six. Number eight for me is empathy, um, but it takes like two thoughts. If I'm in a session with someone, you know, I am, um, if there's especially sharing something really sad with me, I will have the thought, wow, if I put myself in their shoes, this is probably what I would be feeling right now. And although that's kind of, it feels like an instant thought, I had to have a thought to feel it. That's the difference between empathy number eight and empathy number one, where it would just fire off. And that would be the lens through which they communicated and did everything in that conversation. And so- Yes, they move around. You can leverage them, but really we're leveraging from the the talents and the themes that we are already pretty strong in. And so they would discourage you from taking it again and instead just getting your full 34 and knowing how or learning how to leverage your top 10 as you need them. 
That being said, when you think about what would it be like to um, invest in your themes and the fact that you are already amazing at this and how do you be more amazing? Like how can you become the Olympic version of yourself? This is where it gets really exciting because Gallup did research where they took a group of third graders that were average readers, meaning they read successfully on a third grade level. Um, so they were good students. They enjoyed reading and they read pretty well on a third grade level. And they put them in an advanced reading course where they successfully learned to read twice as fast. So they read faster. And any of us would look at that, especially as a parent, and go, wow, that was successful. Um, but then they took a group of readers that, for whatever reason, were naturally advanced readers. They read naturally faster than any of their peers. We don't know if they had that com competition or maybe that achiever of, I can't wait to get this, you know, this task done. We don't know what their motivation was, but for whatever reason, they naturally devoured reading and read faster than their peers. And they put those students in the same advanced reading course to teach them to read faster than they were reading already. And those students read nine times faster. So they were already fast readers. And now they were like Olympic versions of themselves reading faster, right? So the idea here is if you focus on what you're already good at, going back to what Donald Clifton was talking about, if you focus on what you're already good at, like you're already more amazing at that than maybe anyone else around you. In fact, there's a 78 billionth chance that there is someone out there with your top eight in the order that you have them. One in 78 billionth chance. So if you're already amazing at that naturally and you invest in it, like if you have harmony and you have a natural um, desire to bring peace to a situation, you have a natural radar that goes off when there's tension in the room. And you, instead of backing away from the conflict to bring yourself peace, that if you learn how to engage the conflict and invite other people into a unified conversation. So if you are reading books on boundaries, reading books on engaging conflict, like if you invest in that theme, you can be on the you can be the Olympic version of yourself. You'll be amazing at intentionally knowing how and when to leverage and use that harmony theme. I um, use superhero language when I'm working with people. And so it's like having our own set of superpowers. And if we can learn like any other superhero, how and when to use those powers, learn how to have control of them, learn how to make the choice to use them and then use them for good. Amazing things start happening around us. So whether you are in a relationship or whether you are even um, in a leadership space where you have the opportunity to lead a team, knowing what your strengths are and being able to communicate them, knowing what the strengths are of your teammates and asking them to use those more often. Not only does our pro productivity go up, but our joy of coming to work goes up. We want to bring our best to the table because we feel it's valued um, from a leadership perspective. You're valuing your team and the team feels valued and also values you. We're able to accept our limitations and not try to be perfect all the time. So we reduce that anxiety in our workplace environment um, because we're not trying to be perfect all the time. And instead, we can have these conversations of, you know what, I'm not really great at that. I'll do it if, if I'm asked or tasked to do it, but I'm not necessarily quick at it. So I might need a little bit of extra time. Most people love boundaries and they love information and they love understanding. And so when we're able to communicate even our limitations, not to, uh, not as an excuse to get out of doing the work, but instead asking for grace, asking for extra time or asking for the permission or opportunity to delegate or use different tools to help us. People love to work with people who are self-aware, confident in what they're good at, bringing that to the table like they're trying to bring it to the table. And then we know how to work together, right? It transforms your whole work environment, your internal culture, and um, especially transforms your home, transforms your parenting. Um, so I know that you probably have a ton of questions. I could probably do three more episodes 
on this topic alone with some of the questions that people ask. But I hope that more than anything, you're walking away with an understanding that you are amazing at something. And if you don't know what that is, then it's time to consider how do I start evaluating what brings me joy, what I'm really good at, what comes natural and quick to me. When do I, um, when am I working or doing something where I lose all sense of time? And I'm like, wow, time just flew. That's a clue to talent. How do I listen to other people who are trying to tell me what I'm good at and pay attention to what they're saying? What would it be like for you to put a language behind that and start communicating and maybe even taking some risks to doing that more often, to gift the world with this thing that you are really good at? How would it change your marriage and change your work dynamics to tag team when you are collaborating with someone else with a different set of strengths? for you to value the strengths of other people instead of seeing them as being malicious or just trying to make your life difficult, that more than likely they're just bringing a different set of talents that you don't have. And they might be talents that you actually need and are filling your weaknesses. And if we could learn to see them as helpful instead of threatening, what what would change in that dynamic if we saw that from a different place? It's a whole different conversation if people are actually being malicious or if they're actually um, being selfish or if they're actually being prideful, right? But most people, 90, I'm going to say 98% of the people around you are not trying to hurt you. They're trying to do the best that they can to bring the best of what they have to provide. And they're just hoping that it's valued the same way you're hoping what you're bringing to the table is valued as well. Hopefully this was helpful. I will put links in the show notes for the Gallup Strength Finder assessment, um, Marcus Buckingham's assessment. Um, I will also put links in there too. Um, if you're interested in coaching with me, if you would like to have a session on your strengths, um, how you can do that. Um, as always, feel free to reach out to me. My email is info at coreyweathers.com. If you have questions and would like for me to expand on some of this, or if you would like for me to do another episode on a particular topic, especially relating to this one, email me and let me know. I would love to hear from you guys. As always, I depend on you spreading um, this podcast by word of mouth to other people that you feel like it would be helpful with. I encourage you to share this with your spouse where they can hopefully align with you with a strengths. Um, approach to your relationship. Um, but if, as always, if there's anything that I can do to support you, your team, your families, um, and seeing the strengths-based approach to not only working better together, but also coping with this very difficult and challenging lifestyle, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks guys. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast or leave a review so others can find it as well. Were you thinking of someone else who would benefit from hearing today's episode? You can be a life giver to them by simply sharing it with an encouraging note. If you would like to connect with me or find out more about my work, you can visit www.coryweathers.com.